Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. Today we're continuing our studies in the book of Thessalonians, chapter 2. So today's podcast, we're looking at that second chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Remember, Paul, Silas and Timothy had arrived in Thessalonica from Philippi, where according to verse 1, they had suffered and been treated outrageously or shamefully, some versions put it. They'd in fact helped a slave girl who was demonised by setting her free and her owners were not happy about this because the demon that had controlled her had empowered her to tell fortunes, which obviously is something to be avoided. And they had had Paul and Silas arrested, publicly stripped and beaten and imprisoned. And even when facing all of this, Paul and Silas didn't blame God, but they praised God and miraculously God released them from the prison. And as a result, the jailer and his oikos or household of blood and non-blood relatives became followers of Jesus. And then they, along with the oikos of Lydia, who shortly before had become followers of Jesus, along along with the slave girl who'd been set free from demonisation, they formed the base of the new church in Philippi. So there'd been fruit for their labours. People had become followers of Jesus, miracles had taken place, captives had been set free and a new church had been planted, disciples were being made. However, along with this came an intense suffering and shame in a culture where honour was so important. I guess sometimes in the West we don't fully grasp that in our culture But the stripping and beating of Paul and Silas in Philippi would have had a profound shaming effect on them and their message. And yet they did not give up. They arrived in Thessalonica and they say in verse 2 of chapter 2, With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in face of strong opposition. Paul realised that he and his team were to speak as those entrusted with the gospel according to verse 4. The picture here is the picture of a steward, someone who owns nothing but possesses everything, and he can use it or she can use it for the benefit of their boss. So in the Bible, we think of stories like the book of Joseph, uh, sorry, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. He was a steward in Potiphar's house. He could use and administer all of his boss's belongings and look after the running of his household as long as it was primarily for his boss's benefit and not for his. Jesus uses this image in the Gospels too when he speaks of our responsibility. He says that one day we'll give an account for how we have stewarded what God has entrusted to us, Luke 16 verses 1 and 2. Jesus is our Lord, our boss. So Paul understood that the message of the good news of the love of God, the gospel of how people can come into the family of God and are treasured by him. God had entrusted that precious message to him. What we do with that really matters. We mustn't just bury it in our busyness or our fear or our embarrassment or our feelings of unworthiness. But we get to invest it, we get to share it, we get to spread it. The gospel changed and goes on changing our lives as we move from unbelief to faith in every area of life. Paul knew that one of the key qualities of a good steward is faithfulness. 
1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Here Jesus comments on those who have invested what they've been entrusted with and seen it multiply. And he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul faithfully does what he knows God has asked him to do. When he feels like it and when he doesn't feel like it. When it's easy and when it's difficult. When it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. He is faithful with the treasure that's been entrusted to him. Faithfulness and fruitfulness are always linked. The thing that Paul and his team had suffered so far on their journey could have caused them to give up, to stop, to pack it all in. How do we avoid that? Todd Bolsinger has written a really helpful book called Tempered Resilience and he reminds us of two very important things in such challenging days as these that we're living through. If we want to have resilience, if we want to keep going like Paul and Silas and the team did, here are some things that Todd Bolsinger says are helpful. Don't lose your nerve and don't lose heart. Don't lose your nerve. Exodus 16.3, the Hebrew people had left slavery in Egypt just six weeks earlier. They'd seen the plagues and the deliverance of the firstborn, the Passover, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the signs and wonders, the parting of the Red Sea, recently seen them. And yet when they came to the border of the promised land, they sent in 12 spies and they all agreed that this was an amazing land. Yet they saw the size of the giants and the cities and the fortification, 10 of them saw that and said that they couldn't take the land. Yet two of them saw these things, but they also remembered the greatness of God. And they said, with God's help, we can take the land. The people lost their nerve. They believed the ten spies who said they couldn't do it. And so spent 40 years in a round trip in the desert, getting them back to the exact same point. Let's not allow the challenges that we face and the difficulties of the days that we're living through to cause us to forget the greatness of God and so to lose nerve. Paul and his team remembered the greatness of God and the responsibility of making the disciples and that had been entrusted to him and so they kept going. So don't lose nerve and don't lose heart. Numbers eleven fifteen. Moses had led the people through some very challenging days and the pressure of leading people who sometimes didn't want to be led, got to him. In fact, he told God that he'd had enough and he wanted to go and be with God rather than carry on. We all face days when we feel discouraged, when we don't know how to continue. They are moments in which we could give up, but notice Paul and Silas in fellowship with one another, being family on mission, encouraged one another. What do we do when people just don't seem bothered? Or they don't want to follow Jesus. In times when it feels easy to quit. When those days come and they will come. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. Allow people around you to encourage you. Pray for you. Speak into your life. We're in this together. Spend some time worshipping God. Reading the Bible. Talking to him in prayer. Guarding your heart. Don't lose nerve. Don't lose heart. We get an insight into how Paul felt about the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7 where we're told 
sorry, in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, where we're told, we were like young children among you. Jesus said that we're to take the posture of a little child. Then with humility, we're positioned best to receive the mysteries of God, Matthew 11.25. Paul's talking about the gentle and humble attitude of a constant learner. A great definition of being a disciple is being a learner. We have our L plates on and we need to remember that. Uh, and we need to make, like we make allowances for learner drivers when we're driving on the road, we give them more space. We understand that they might not be as confident or as fast. We make allowances for them. Let's remember that we've all got our L plates on when it comes to being disciples. So let's make allowances for one another. Let's make space for one another. Let's show understanding to one another. Paul's contrasting being like a young child among them to being an adult who could trick or manipulate or flatter or deceive them. He says that he was like a young child who with humility and gentleness just simply and lovingly told them the gospel and set them off on that discipleship journey. We can sometimes feel like young children when we're faced with some of the challenges of life but that's okay. As long as we respond with humility, gentleness and dependence on God and don't just be childish and have a strop. I love the honesty of young children. I remember one day coming home when our children were very young, um, probably preschoolers. And as I came in through the front door, we lived in a terraced house. And I came in and as I opened the front door, I could see our daughter at the top of the stairs and our son just about setting off up the stairs. And as I opened the door, they both froze and looked at me. And I said to them, what are you two up to? And my son looked at me and said, mischief just simple honest answers I guess another application of faithfulness for us is that in our commitment to each other in our gatherings together like in celebration or basis or missional communities missional households we get to be faithful to one another to supporting one another not just in meetings but in lifestyle as well it's easy to do things when we feel like it isn't it it's easy to do things when they're convenient when it fits in with our schedule but truly being a family on mission isn't just about convenient relationships it's about covenant relationships familiar patterns of gathering and encouraging and sharing food and sharing life and sharing the gospel and sharing God's word and having fun feeling like a healthy family faithfully becoming all that we can be as disciples who make disciples and so the chapter continues we think about verses 7b through to 12 at the beginning of the chapter we see Paul like a courageous apostle that he was sharing the good news and faithfully doing what he'd been entrusted to do and now we see him as a caring loving leader a spiritual parent in these verses, Paul uses the picture of both being like a mother and a father to the disciples in Thessalonica. In verse 7 and 8, he says, Just like a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Paul mixes his metaphors and moves from speaking about himself as a little child to being like a nursing mother. Or a wet nurse, it could literally be translated in verse 8. He's literally speaking of a mother breastfeeding her child is using this maternal language to describe something of this process of discipleship. The Bible does this 
to in places like Numbers 11, 12 and Isaiah 66, 13. He speaks of his love for them and his willingness to share with them not just the good news, but his life as well. The things that have fed and nourished him, he passes on to them so that they can grow strong and grow healthy as disciples. He also speaks in verse 11 of being a father to them who knows how to encourage and comfort, to urge them to live lives worthy of the gospel and of God. As parents, it's so important that we learn how to help our children to feed on the right stuff. What our lives, what are our lives teaching them about God, about relationships, about forgiveness, about holiness? Remember, when we teach, we're not talking just about merely using words, though words are important. It's also our example and our lifestyle too. Parenting involves the delicate balance of encouragement and challenge, or invitation and challenge. We all know as individuals, we have a tendency to lean to one or two or to the other of those things. But to be wise parents and to be wise disciple makers, we need to learn how to perfectly balance invitation and challenge, encouragement and challenge. God, as a father, knows how to do this with us. And we and his children are invited to learn how to do this with one another. And so we see from Paul that he models for us how to help others to be disciples of Jesus. He has an attitude of humility and gentleness. He loves like a parent. He gets the right balance of invitation and challenge. You see, if invitation is too low and challenge is too low, people just feel bored. If invitation encouragement is really high, but challenge is really low, people just feel cosy. If invitation is low, and challenges high, people just feel stressed. But when we get that balance of high invitation, a real sense of family, and high challenge, a real sense of mission and purpose, then we feel empowered to be the disciples that we're called to be. Verses 13 to 16 uh, talks about the connection of information and imitation. So, if the attitude we adopt when we're making disciples, we are also to adopt an invitation, uh, sorry, the attitude we're to adopt when we're making disciples is to be our attitude when we're growing as disciples ourselves, willing to learn, to recognise the information, the value of information, learning the right things, studying the Bible, learning from others, and then the importance of sharing life with others so we see real life examples of how to live this out. Paul says in Philippians, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, all the things you see in me that you can see in Jesus, follow those things. The things that are in me that you don't see in Jesus, just ignore those because they're not going to help you. But what you can see that Jesus has done in me, learn from that and keep following Jesus that way. The Thessalonians saw the value of what Paul and his team were saying to them. In verse 13, Paul says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The Bible is God's word, and as such, 
It is God speaking to us. God made people in his own image and he knows what's best for us. The Bible contains lots of permissions and a few parameters. God says lots of yeses and a few noes. He does this because he has an eternal perspective and he knows what's best for us in the long run. Some people paint a picture of God as a mean killjoy who just wants us to stop doing stuff and having no fun. But actually he's a really kind father who wants us to be all that we could be. Now if you're wondering what God wants to do with your life and what he wants you to do with your life, you're unsure, why not just keep the standing orders of the Bible as you live in community with other followers of Jesus and let that clarity grow. What do I mean by the standing orders of the Bible? When you're in an army, there are standing orders. Things that you know are the right thing to do all of the time. And then there'll be specific orders layered on top of those when you're in a position of doing an operation. Keep the standing orders of the scriptures. What are they? Well, as you read the Bible, you'll find many of them. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That's God's will for you. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.15-18, Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's God's will for you. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. 1 Peter 2.15 For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's God's will for you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6.33 just a couple more. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as, is, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And then Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, for this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These are, these are just a few of the things that there are the standing orders of God's word for us as his disciples. Paul commends the Thessalonians for recognising the weight and the value of God's word. And for letting it shape their lives to help them to move from unbelief to faith in every area of life. Trusting what God says. The Bible is God's word speaking to us. And therefore we get to take it to heart and act upon it. But Paul also realises that the Thessalonians are going to need some help with this. And the good news is the Holy Spirit is in us and with us to help and enable us to live according to God's word, among God's people, on God's mission. Paul knows that there's more help that God wants to give to us. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. It's a bit like the little boy who was afraid of the dark. At bedtime, it was a real challenge for him and for his parents. They'd leave him in his room to go to sleep. 
alone and he would get so afraid of the dark and he would shout them again and again and one night his mum prayed with him and said this she explained that Jesus is with you so you don't need to be afraid and as she left the room there was silence and then five minutes later mom 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 she replied don't forget Jesus is with you the little boy replied that's great but I need someone with some skin on them here too Jesus is with us by his Holy Spirit but we also need people too and Paul knew that He showed the Thessalonians how to live out their newfound faith in their homes, in their workplaces, in their friendship groups, in their lives. And later he says things to them like this in 2 Thessalonians 3.7 For you know that you ought to imitate us, for we were not idle when we were with you. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2.14 the New Living Translation says And then dear brothers and sisters, You suffered persecution for your own countrymen in the way you imitated the believers. And in this way you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea, who because of their belief in Christ Jesus suffered from their own people, the Jews. The Thessalonians learned from the life of Paul. They were humble. They were willing to learn also from the life of other followers of Jesus, like the churches who had suffered persecution, to help them in the struggle they were facing. There's humility on both sides. You see, we learn from one another and we're not perfect. That requires humility. And allowing others close enough to see how you live and deal with life ups and downs also requires humility because we know that we don't get it right all the time. We're still a work in progress. But to be a disciple who makes disciples, we need to humble ourselves to allow people close enough to see us in that learning process. This is not about putting on a show for people or trying to impress people. It's being someone who has learned something as a follower of Jesus and then being willing by word and action to help others to learn it for their benefit too. And then 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 20, the chapter concludes with Paul telling the Thessalonians that he feels orphaned in verse 17 when he's not with them and that he may not always be able to be there in person he tells them that he tried to get there but in verse 18 Satan had blocked his way blocked here can literally be translated breaking up the road and putting obstacles in the way Satan is a real foe and there are two opposite and equal errors that we must avoid in our thinking about him one is overemphasis and fascination We're constantly thinking about the forces of evil and what they're up to. And the other is underemphasis and mocking, belittling and pretending we don't have a formidable foe. We need a right balance. There are a number of things that we can learn from this simple phrase about Satan blocking our way as Paul talks about. First of all, Satan and his forces are real foes and are not to be taken lightly. Secondly, he's able to impede even people like the Apostle Paul. Thirdly, the hindrance continued so they talked about it and they prayed about it. So they recognised it and they began to get prayer and support. And fourthly, we need to be vigilant and not give up. Chapter 3 tells us that Timothy from Paul's team did get to them even when Paul was in Athens. So a breakthrough happened. We need to discern when opposition 
arises like this when we're encountering it. Is it natural or is there more to it? Just a few things to remember. God is infinitely more powerful than the devil and the forces of evil. Jesus has won the victory at the cross. We do have a genuine foe in the devil and the forces of evil. So let's not give him a landing strip into our lives by an activity in life, habitual sin, that allows a foothold into our life that can become a stronghold, that can become a stranglehold. Don't make room for the enemy's activity. And finally, if you've any paraphernalia linked to things like the occult or or Masonic practices or fortune telling, it's important just to get rid of those, destroy them, and then tell God you're sorry and turn from them. As we draw to a conclusion, let's notice how Paul talks about the church in Thessalonica, how he refers to them. He says that they are his crown and his joy. By crown, he means that when he stands before God at the end, he will be rewarded for being a faithful steward of the gifts and responsibilities that God had given to him. And the evidence of that is the fruit of the life of the Thessalonians. He's living as a disciple, making disciples. Seeing them following Jesus and becoming all that they could be brings him great joy. If you're a parent, you know what that means. There's something incredible about having a great experience in your own life or a great achievement in your own life. But here's what I'm learning and I've learned as a parent. I want the ceiling of my experiences and achievements to be the basement of my children's. I want to give my life as a foundation so that they go further than me. It's the same in discipling. When I'm discipling people, I want my life to be something that's a foundation that that gives them a starting point rather than an end point, that from what they learn from me, they can go further and further and further. There's a joy in seeing our children flourish. There's a joy in seeing those we are discipling flourish and go further than we could ever go because we've given them some opportunity in God to learn from our mistakes so that they don't have to learn from them by making the same mistakes but they can just press on into new things take more ground grow deeper and stronger in God and so I encourage you as you come to the end of this podcast let's take seriously some of the key themes here resilience keeping going don't lose heart don't lose nerve being spiritual parents being disciples who make disciples recognizing that there's time of opposition but we don't give up we get help we get prayer we get the breakthrough in God and recognizing that one day we'll stand before Jesus and what will count then what we'll long to hear from him then is well done good and faithful servant so let's be faithful stewards of what God has given to us not just when it's convenient not just when There's nothing else to do. But let's live out the covenant together that God has made with us so that we live as disciples who make disciples. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.